Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I am excited to welcome IMHIP staff, True friend, Trisha Rodriguez, our Director of Public Policy and Government Relations here at IMHIP, to the podcast to talk about all things policy and really talk about everything we went through down in Springfield this year. Trisha, welcome back. Thank you so much, Samantha, for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to join. And I love having you on, Trisha, because policy is one of my favorite topics to cover here. Um, And we have... So much to get through, legislative session wrapped up, end of May, and as always, there's a lot of stuff that happened with regards to Medicaid. So let's dive right in, and can you sort of provide some background on the Medicaid omnibus package, but maybe also for our listeners, just a refresher on the process, the Medicaid working group, just a quick overview of the legislative workings at the Capitol. Yes, that sounds great. So I'll start with a little bit of background on the Medicaid Working Group and how that whole process uh, comes about. So I think we all know this, Medicaid policy in Illinois has a huge effect uh, on the state budget and also has a huge effect on the healthcare ecosystem just because the number of lives that are covered under the Medicaid program in Illinois. Uh, And because of that, you know, that factor, the Medicaid Working Group was really formed uh, several years back, and it allows a small group of uh, bipartisan, bicameral group of legislators to review, uh, discuss, and make decisions about Medicaid policy in Illinois. Uh, Forming this smaller group just kind of allows those legislators who actually have an interest or they have experience in the healthcare space, it allows them to have uh, some of those more detailed future-oriented discussions about the Medicaid program. Uh, And then each year, this group of legislators, they come up with a uh, legislative package. A lot of times it's called the Medicaid Omnibus Bill. Uh, And typically the Medicaid Omnibus Bill includes kind of two types of initiatives. It includes um, some individual legislator initiatives that are introduced as standalone bills, uh, but it also could include items that come up over the course of the session that needs to be addressed. Uh, For example, this session, there were um, some cost control issues coming up around uh, Medicaid-like coverage for immigrant seniors and adults. And so that is something that the Medicaid Working Group, um, you know, heard from subject matter experts on, decided what to do with regard to that cost control issue. And there was uh, language included in the Medicaid omnibus that just passed to help um, provide I shouldn't say provide, I guess, make more clear what the current statutory authority is for controlling the program. So that was kind of one of those pieces um, that was 
driven by discussions that came up over the course of session. And then, of course, some of those provider rate increases and the other initiatives were standalone bills that came uh, together within the package. I will say um, typically provider groups and groups that work in the Medicaid space are invited to you know, advocate for their asks, uh, provide feedback on items that the Medicaid working group is considering. Um, but the structure of the Medicaid working group has certainly changed uh, over time. And I think it will continue to change uh, as you know we have new leadership in both chambers. So I think the process still very much remains the same, um, but I think we'll see some changes in the year to come. And what really came together this session uh, in terms of the Medicaid omnibus, there were a lot of um, provider rate increases aimed at preserving access to services, uh, including increases for hospitals, behavioral health, uh, FQHCs. There were some increases for long-acting contraception, um, adult David adult day services and so much more. Uh, additionally, uh, we also, as I'm hit partner with the state on some added protections related to the MCO quality withhold program, uh, which really serve to both, you know, continue to incentivize high quality care while also making sure uh, that we're maintaining those resources within the Medicaid program that can continue to, dr to drive that quality. Absolutely. And, and I think now our listeners understand why we're so tired. Um, it's so much. And what I want to say about the Medicaid Working Group and why it's so integral and why it's so critical is we talk all the time about how complicated healthcare is and how complicated Medicaid is and how it all interfaces um, and intersects with the other social safety net and with state government. And I mean, by the very nature, it is a government-funded healthcare program. And so what we saw before the Medicaid Working Group, and this goes back, you know, over a decade ago, almost, you know, 15 years ago, before we sort of saw this function, it was all these different standalone bills that were repetitive of one another or conflicted with one another. And you, if you had passed both, you sort of, created just this administrative nightmare and confusion. And so you kind of needed somebody, you know, some traffic control sort of saying like, this is what's in, this is what's out. And maybe these two ideas are great, but we need to make sure that they mesh well together. And so that's why we really saw the Medicaid Working Group is just making sure that at the end of the day, the Medicaid package can be implemented. And that we don't have one bill that says, you know, X, Y, and Z, and another bill that says A, B, C, and we're going, well, what? how do we make this work? And what's the vision here? Especially because you have legislation starting in both chambers, you have different visions, even within the same party, you know, political party, you have different ideas. And that all really stems from, you know, it's a bunch of people down in Springfield. And so they bring with them their experience and their vantage points. And so what their community needs might be really different than what another legislator's community needs. And oftentimes, especially before we saw Medicaid managed care, it had to be a one size fits all approach. And so it became really complicated of how do you implement policy that meets the diverse needs of Illinois' 102 counties in a cohesive way that also meets all of the federal standards. And I think that's sort of where managed care has come in to sort of assist in that because we are allowed flexibilities um, to sort of 
administer the program a little differently in different areas based off of our providers, based off of you know, the community assets that do exist and the community needs that exist, which is something I think of all the time as almost a, it flies under the radar down in Springfield that we've often solved one of the biggest problems that they used to face. Yeah, I think so too. And to piggyback off of one of your point, it also allows the state to budget for some of these changes because you don't have a bunch of standalone bills flying out there, it gives us a chance to really put a dollar amount on kind of the the Medicaid agenda um, for Illinois for the session and make sure that not only are we passing all these laws, but we can actually implement them. Absolutely. And so let's dive into what those things are. You kind of gave us some of them. One that is like probably most affordable, but probably what I would say is one of the best policy components of the Medicaid omnibus bill is this tiny little thing around long-acting um, reversible contraception. So LARCs, and these are like IUDs or Nexoplan, the, the implants. Medicaid has this policy around reimbursement for pharmaceuticals, and they reimburse 4.4% less then the wholesale acquisition cost, which is essentially list price, um, or that's how I'll refer to it in sort of like a, a common nomenclature, if you will. And that makes sense because when you're at a pharmacy, a pharmacy is able to get a deal on, on the prescriptions they're buying because they buy in bulk. You know, nobody's just buying like one um prescription of, you know, acetaminophen or amoxicillin. They're buying lots of it. And so they're able to sort of get a bulk discount. Again, this is like simplifying healthcare finance. And I'm sure all of my pharmacy folks and PBM folks are like, it's far more complicated than that. I know that, but like, you know, stick with me. And what where it doesn't work is specifically in long-acting reversible contraception, because these are considered a pharmaceutical but they're not dispensed at a pharmacy. Nobody's getting their IUD at, at like your corner pharmacy. It's at your doctor's office. And doctor's offices, are, these things expire. They're expensive. They're not buying hundreds of them. And they last for an extended period of time. So like, again, the volume's just not there. So when you're reimbursing less than list price, you're reimbursing less than it costs which creates a disincentive to provide these devices, which creates an access issue and a health equity issue for Medicaid members. And so we worked on this to just remove that sort of financial disincentive to increase access to long-acting reversible contraception for Medicaid members across the state. And it's one of those like simple things, but it will make a difference in people's lives and it will strengthen the Medicaid program. And that is at the core what the Medicaid omnibus is supposed to do. And so there are big ways we did that. We had a 10% rate increase for hospitals. We had a 30% increase for behavioral health providers. And those are big dollar amounts. But we also had this like critical LARC funding solution to address a health equity and access issue for Medicaid members. And I just think in healthcare, we get so focused on the big stuff, but this package sort of forces us to look at the whole program. And sometimes we just have little things that need to be fixed. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think one of the things too with contraception, you want to have, you know, whatever resources and devices available pretty soon after you have those uh, contraceptive counseling type conversations, because if you wait, that person might not come back. And so having that stock in your office where you can have that conversation then quickly um, get them set up with whatever contraception of their choice. I think that's a really critical component. And I think um, reimbursing providers more fairly uh, for those devices will really help in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what this year we saw. It was really exciting for me um, to just see a recognition from the legislature, from the administration, that how we reimburse providers directly impacts how our Medicaid members receive care. And it's an access issue. And like, we wish it wasn't, right? Like we wish that every healthcare provider in the world would see Medicaid members regardless of reimbursement, but like the finances just don't work that way. And if they're taking a loss on every Medicaid member that they see and they don't see other, you know, commercial members or Medicare members, and they just keep seeing Medicaid only and they're taking a loss, like they're going to close at some point. And it's just not sustainable and it's not stable for our healthcare industry. And so just a recognition and, and it, we still have tons of work to do. And I think this will be our long-term next five years sort of focus, but we really saw what I would call a down payment on a commitment to our Medicaid providers and a recognition that their reimbursement rates directly impact access. Yeah, exactly. And again, it goes back to the fact you can have this very extensive service array, but if you don't have providers who are available to actually administer that service, you don't have those services available. And so you know, passing legislation, you know, having the service array available is one thing, but it all really comes down to implementation. How do we implement things in a way uh, that is accessible for the people that we're trying to serve? Absolutely. And a recognition of what it means in their day-to-day -day life. And like, I love providers, we partner with providers. And, and then we also know we need joint accountability. We The plans need accountability. The state needs accountability. The provider community needs accountability to make sure that we're all treating these providers or these members fairly equitably, that we have the access, that we're providing the care that we're all paid with taxpayer dollars to do. And I think um, one of the areas we see sort of like that movement is that protection of the quality program that you alluded to earlier, Tricia, where we walk through um, timing of when that program will be announced, because a lot of people think of the quality program as like, oh, this is an MCO thing, but MCOs contract with their providers and then hold their providers accountable for those outcomes. And so, because we don't, you know, MCOs aren't vaccinating or performing mammograms or any of that, the providers are, and they're contracting with the MCOs. And so we're sort of the ones that hold their feet to the fire, but really it comes down from the state. And so giving everybody more time, giving us some predictability and sort of what that structure is going to look like, that 75% of those measures need to be nationally recognized, uh, which is great because it really aligns with this really wonderful approach of the federal government where they've looked at this and experts 
across the country for years and years have looked at quality programs in Medicaid programs and private insurance and Medicare, and they've talked to providers and health plans and, and doctors and everybody. And what we've found out is we're making a mess of it all. That at any given moment, individual providers could be asked to be measuring a hundred different measures because there's no alignment. And so what that means is they're not making an impact on anything. Like if you ask me to measure a hundred different things, I'm gonna spend all my time measuring and none of my time doing. And that's not what we want. And so they've pulled together industry experts. I'm gonna just call them geniuses. And they've looked at the various measures and they've sort of determined like, here are these core sets for Medicaid for children and for adults. And these are the measures that are most impactful to people's lives. And they're things that you got, you would not be surprised about, like, you know, wellness visits, vaccines, mammograms, cervical cancer screenings, colonoscopies. I mean, these are the things we know directly impact the quality of our life, the healthcare we receive, you know, early detection of cancer saves lives. Um, so we all agree on all of this. And the federal government is starting to really push states to sort of align with that, to make it simpler for providers so that they can really move the needle. And so I think having 75, at least 75% of our measures align with nationally recognized measures, and hopefully those will be that CMS corset that the federal government has said, hey, states, you have to measure this no matter what. Hopefully we'll have some alignment there and really continue to build upon the quality efforts and impact the Medicaid MCOs have already had in Illinois. Yeah, I really like what you said about accountability. I think sometimes as an MCO industry, we are viewed as a barrier when it's really the opposite of that. Not only are we, you know, through care coordination and advocate for the member as they go through their healthcare journey, but we also serve as a partner in accountability with the providers. You know, the state provides sort of the overall strategic vision of what they want to see so that we, like you said, we don't have, you know, a hundred different measures and areas that the providers are measuring, but really the plans are the ones who are, um, on the ground partnering with these providers to make sure that the state's vision is carried out um, and that, uh, you know, measuring the quality measures and actually affecting some of those changes is happening in a way that is in line um, with the state's vision for the program and is also in line um, with some of the uh, largest needs within the Medicaid program, including behavioral health, maternal health, um, and things of that nature. So I do think accountability is a really important um, piece of this and MCOs are really a partner um, to make sure that, you know, the state strategic vision is, um, you know, it's implemented properly. Absolutely. And I think that's the best place to end it on, right? Like here we are, we at the core, Medicaid's a government-funded healthcare program. We're, we're spending taxpayer dollars. That's what it is. And so how do we create a program that is compassionate, that serves our neighbors. I mean, you are listeners and you know, Trisha. like I care deeply about the Medicaid member. I care deeply about how this impacts all of our communities um, and, and believe that there should be investment 
But hand in hand with that and the recognition that it's taxpayer dollars, like there needs to be accountability. And how do we braid that all together to create the strongest healthcare safety net that we can? And I think Illinois is well on the way in doing that. Um, and I hope that over the next few years, we really see the fruits um, of all of this labor. I agree. And I think one of the silver linings um, coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic is we've all realized that we can't do this alone. Um, and so there's been a great deal of partnership and collaboration over the uh, over the last few years that I hope continues into the future. Because um, whether you're talking about physical, behavioral health, transportation, any of these other services, it all works together as one ecosystem. Um, and so I do hope, uh, you know, providers, the state, MCOs, you know, the whole healthcare ecosystem continues to partner as we go forward. Same. Oh, Trisha, thank you so much for joining us today, but more importantly, for all the work you've done over the last legislative session to just really impact all the Medicaid members' lives that rely on this program. Like, you are one of my unsung heroes. So thank you so much for your time today. Of course. And thanks again for having me on. Um, I always love debriefing and uh, especially reflecting on, you know, what a productive and eventful session we had this year. Absolutely. Well, to our listeners, to learn more about what IMHIP is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.org. And of course, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Old Spry, the Sam and Sam says, as always, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.